grateful for uh, each of you guys um, and grateful for this time together. I was saying to one of the guys, you know, I've been serving in parent youth group um, for eight years now, and, and so I don't have a teenager. Our oldest, as many of you know, is, is 10, so we're, we're getting close, but we're not there yet. Uh, but it really has been a joy for me to just walk through these last eight years or, you know, even being in the church for you know, 12, 13 years, just to walk with parents over these years. And um, just like the Lord has given me certain burdens, and I, and I share many of those with you guys from time to time, but I think this morning is just as I've thought about these things and prayed about these things, just how do I want to encourage you guys in the, in the responsibility you've been given. Uh, so I've been praying for us, praying for each of you, uh, just all that would join us, and all that would listen to this, and, and just pray that God would, would use it to really spur us on. You know, Each of us could... Um, go around, and in a little while we, we can. Um, but just being a parent is challenging. Being a parent to sons is challenging. Um, none of our sons are perfect, obviously. Um, they, at times, oppose the very things we're trying to do. And so it, it's, a, it's a challenging task, and yet um, we want to get our eyes on Christ. So it's so tempting, uh, no matter the age of your child, no matter the gender of your child, to when you look at your child, just to think about all the areas they need to grow in and all the, the ways they're deficient and all the ways I'm deficient. Uh, and all that's real, that's true. But you know, when we get our eyes on Christ and, and we think about who He is and, and what He's done, I think there really can be fresh hope, fresh encouragement, even though we're all going back and, and our boys are going to be exactly the same. Um, so I, I've been reading a, a book uh, recently about World War II, and and as many of you guys know, it's, it's just a fascinating topic. I was a history teacher before I became a pastor here, and so I've, I've studied it, I've taught it, and and yet I just can't uh, I can't stop kind of processing it and, and thinking through it and, and reading different books on it. You know, you just have you have these different characters, and you have FDR and Churchill and. Hitler and Stalin and Patton and Eisenhower, just, just to name a few. And you have these incredible events you know, like D-Day and Pearl Harbor and, and dropping the A-bomb. And should they have done that? And was that wise? And did that did that save lives? You know, did not? It not. And then there's just so many different outcomes, right? I mean, just things happen the way God sovereignly wanted them to happen. And yet there's all these little moments where just this guy's not there at the right time. Or, you know, so many times where Patton just does whatever he wanted to do and it turned out well sometimes and other times not. And, and just there's just so much that, that's that's a part of that war and, and just the impact it's had on, on culture and history now for decades. And in studying the war recently, I've just been reminded of how important it is um, to know both the objective, what is the objective, and to have a plan to accomplish that objective, and how important it is um, to have the necessary resources available. You know, so it's important to know what the objective is, it's important to know how to accomplish that objective, and it's important to know by what means. You know, okay, there's the plan. How, by, by what means are we going to accomplish that plan? So you, on one hand, you have D-Day is a great example of how important it is to have a clear objective and a clear vision to accomplish that objective. General Eisenhower, Allied leaders, they, they knew they needed to get the foothold into Western Europe, um, they, they knew they needed to get Germany uh, out of France, or at least start pushing them back uh, towards Germany. So they knew the objective, and, and if you've studied this at all, you know that they spent countless hours uh, trying to figure out how to accomplish that objective. Uh, was reading how, you know, even with Normandy, they, they sent these frogmen, is what they called them, into Normandy to get sand samples. Of, okay, what, what kind of sand are we looking at? And what are the conditions like? And what is the wind like? And, and so it, it wasn't, you know, one day Eisenhower saying, you know what we need? We need a foothold in Western Europe. That's what we need. Somebody give me my dart and just kind of throw a dart against the map. And okay, where did it land? Okay, we're going to go there. You know, there was, there was intentionality. There was, there was uh, clarity to the objective. And uh, they all moved as one in accomplishing it. Each uh, division knew exactly where they were going. They knew what Eisenhower wanted, and they they they, they were moving that forward. You know, just think about how how foolish it would have been if uh, all these guys just kind of picked their own spot in Europe. Okay, I'm going to go here, and I'm going to go here, I'm going to go here. It would have been uh, it would have been wide and thin, and it most likely would have failed. Uh, so you, you need to know the objective. You need to know 
the plan to accomplish that objective, and you need to have the necessary resources. So uh, I was fascinated. I, you know, I've studied the Battle of the Bulge, but they were talking about how you know, really it wasn't a battle of the bulge. It, they broke through. The, the American media came up with that phrase, battle of the bulge, because it would have freaked Americans out if they knew that, that Hitler broke the line. Uh, that's what he did. He broke, he broke the line in pieces. And so they have these maps that just show where everybody was, you know, all the, all the Allied troops were. And there was not only breaks in the line, uh, there, you know, as, as we know through, um, like the HBO miniseries D-Day or Abandoned Brothers, there was a guy surrounded. And so the 101st Division surrounded in Bastogne. So, uh, Germany breaks the Allied line. Uh, they're starting to advance again. The 101st Division, one of the most impressive Allied divisions, is surrounded. And I don't want to oversimplify it. There are multiple reasons uh, the Allied forces were able to push Germany uh, back. But one of the main reasons that stopped, that offensive by Germany stopped, was that they outran their supply lines. And so they were going so fast that they actually out, they, they outpaced uh, ammunition, guns, clothing, gasoline. And so they had an objective, they had a plan, they were even accomplishing it, uh, and yet there was a point where they no longer had the resources necessary. And, and I share all of that with you because that just, that directly connects to us as being fathers to sons, doesn't it? We, we need to know what is the objective. Uh, we, we entitled this morning, Called to be a Father on Purpose. You have been sovereignly called by God to a task that he does not give every person he creates. I mean, think about that. Every person God creates, and he does not give the role of father to sons to every person, not to every man. Not every man is called by the living God to be, to be a dad to sons, and yet you have been. Uh, and God in his infinite wisdom, in giving this specific role to you and to me, I have a, uh, a nine-year-old, uh, has been given to us, and not only has the title been given to us, not only has that boy or boys been given to us, but, but certain objectives have been given to us as well, right? God um, is calling us, he's calling us to fulfill the task, and he's giving us resources for the task. When God gives a man the gift of a son, he doesn't say, okay, hope you have fun with that, you know, do whatever you want to do. Uh, shape him, mold him into whatever image you, you want. Uh, come up with a list of priorities that make sense to you and communicate those to him in word and action for the next 18 years or so. I hope it goes great. That's not what God says. When God gives a man a son, he also gives that man a call to raise him in a certain way. Like everything in our life, we own none of it. You own nothing. I own nothing. We are stewards of all of it. Our Father in Heaven, just think about this, guys. I was just amazed by this. Our Father in Heaven has given us the incredible opportunity to also be a father to son. So God is our Father. We are His Son. And for us men who have sons, we are then given the gift of getting to be a father to a son for God's glory and for our son's good. And that really is. I, I was saying in the announcements, being a father to a son is an incredible privilege and a sobering responsibility. It's an incredible privilege and a sobering responsibility. So it's good and it's wise for us as dads um, to get time with the Lord, to be reminded of, of what it means to be a faithful steward of, of what he has given us. It's good to get time to stop and say, not what do I want, but God, what do you want? What, what are your objectives? What is your vision? What are the resources given by you to accomplish it? We live in uh, such busy lives. So many things get our attention. Uh, and because you and I have um, been called by God, we're called to many things. We've been saved by God. We're, we're, Husbands, we're, we're workers, uh, we're men in the local church, and we're doing a lot of things. And, and yet the temptation then is for it just to be like a train down the tracks. And this is the way I'm moving, and this is what I'm doing, and honestly, I never really think about the why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What are the objectives, and whose power am I doing that? It's just, it's good for us, not just this morning, but just consistently to get 
with the Lord. And, and we could just branch that out into all those areas, right? Okay, what are my objectives as a husband? What are my objectives as a as a worker, you know, in, in the workforce? There's each of these things. Uh, it's not just what do you want to do with your life or what, what do you think the objectives are, but what does God say? So, so let's pray, and then we'll, we'll look at some verses. Lord, I, I, I know these men and their love for you and their love for their sons. And these men are here today because they're doing the very thing I just suggested, the very thing I just encouraged, that it's wise for us to stop and to ponder uh, the glorious gift and privilege of being a father to a son. So, Lord, thank you for these men's example. Thank you for the blessing they are to uh, the church, Lord. And I pray that um, that as we slow down here and we just take a little bit of time to look at your word, that you would freshly encourage us um, with your vision, your objective for our sons, that, that we really would be stewards, that we really would be men who say, God, what do you want for this young man, and what does it look like for me to be your instrument in it? Lord, I pray that we would be um, encouraged by who you are and what you've done in our own lives, and that that would give us hope for our boys. I pray, Lord, that the gospel really would be central this morning as we talk. And are there things to do? No doubt. But, Lord, that it really would be in that Romans 12, 1 and 2, by the mercies of God, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Or that it would be, be because of the gospel and motivated by the gospel and with our hope in the gospel that we would move forward as fathers towards or our sons and in every and any way. In Jesus' name, amen. Just to be clear for our time, what I'm going to say here in a minute, and then we'll unpack it, is uh, what the objective is not, what the objective is. Uh, we're going to list three passages and then three points. So it's going to, it's going to, that first half is going to move pretty quickly. But uh, what our objective is not, what, objective, what our objective is, three passages that highlight this, and then three points. So what our objective is not. And it's important for us to understand this. It's important for us to keep reminding ourselves of this. You as a father are not called to save your boy. You are not called by God to save your boy. And you need to make sure that yoke is not on you. We might be used by God as an instrument... Our sons might one day as they tell their testimony, uh, or maybe in the past they have in telling their testimony, that you have been a blessing, that you have been an influence. That's good. That's Praise God for that. But you cannot save your son. You cannot change their hearts. Only God can do that. Only God can save. Only God can change their hearts. It's really important, I think, that we understand this. Because if we think that it's just about how they're responding, we're going to stop really quickly, right? We're not going to be diligent, passionate, faithful to our calling if we immediately say it's not working. Your job is not to save them. Your job is to be a means of grace to them. Your job is to be an instrument in their life. So it's important to know God can use you, but you're not the primary um, reason. And I really do believe if we have that wrong, we're gonna get, we're gonna grow weary very quickly. And if you are weary right now as a father, that would be just something for you in the, in the days ahead to unpack. Am I trying to do something that I'm not called to do? Am I trying to kind of put on my shoulders a yoke I wasn't meant to bear? Faithful? Yes. Not Messiah. Okay, so that's the objective is not. We're not called to save them. We're called to be faithful. Here's the objective. This is my words, so take it for what it is. It's something for you to process through. Uh, I'm going to read three passages that I think uphold this. But here would be uh, 
as I've thought about it and prayed about it over the years, and I talked to CB and, and John about it, guys, do you feel comfortable me saying this? Are we are we saying this as a team? And, and they said that they, that they agreed. So here's here's what I would say the call of Father is, and I'll, I'll repeat it. Uh, we as fathers are to diligently and faithfully teach our sons who God is, what God has done, and what it means to live our lives for His glory through our words and actions. We as fathers are to diligently, kind of that in season and out, so there's, a, there's, a, there's an intentionality there. We as fathers are to in, uh, diligently and faithfully teach our sons who God is, what God has done, and what it means to live our lives for His glory through our words and actions. Uh, We as fathers are to diligently and faithfully teach our sons who God is, what God has done, and what it means to live our lives for His glory through our words and actions. And three passages I want to highlight. You have, I'm sure the majority of you have heard all three of these before. My guess with the points is you've heard them before. But as it says in scripture, uh, it is, it is no trouble for me to remind you of these things and it is safe for you. Uh, so when it comes to parenting, we just need to hear the same things over and over and over again. So I don't want to reinvent the wheel. If I was reinventing the wheel, I think we probably should be concerned. Uh, so three passages that highlight that objective, the first is Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 9. Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 9. And here's what it says. Now this is the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going to over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, we see a, a grandparent dynamic here as well, by keeping all the statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. So there's a, a call here to uh, put God's word before our sons and our son's son all the days of our life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. So we see, we see that diligence, we see that intentionality. Be careful to do them that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly. As the Lord, uh, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And these things... So it's not just facts about God, right? It's not just... We don't just teach them who God is. We, we teach them who God is and what He's done, why He's worthy of our worship. So there's this, this love the Lord, not just know the Lord with all your heart, and love the Lord with all your heart. And these words, verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So again, guys, there's just this... That, and we're going to talk about this in, in just a moment, but uh, the, the raising of your son should be be one of the most important things you do. When you, when you think about priorities, you think about the things you are called to, the word here is saying, be diligent to teach your children about him, and, and, and shall talk of them, the things of the Lord, when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then Psalm 78. Psalm 78, 1 to 7. And again, we see the the call to transmit who God is and what He's done to the next generation. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching, 
Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them and children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. I love that about the body of Christ. There's just this one generation to the next. I don't think there's a business out there. They want profit that moves forward, but I don't think there's many businesses that say to themselves, we want to be a business that starts to build into the next generation now. There's a profits this quarter, this season, how do we improve right now? It's not wrong to want to improve right now, but let's talk about the local church where there's this glorifying God now, but then there's also that Glorifying God from generation to generation. And God calls us to that. It's not, yeah, God, God's going to be faithful and He has been faithful and He will be faithful. It's true. But He uses us as means towards that faithfulness. Finally, Ephesians 6-4. Ephesians 6-4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So those are our three passages. Three, three points. Point one, a father is called to be a Christian. A father is called to be a Christian. The greatest way you can be a blessing to your son, the greatest way that you can be a blessing to your son and faithful to the call of God is to have a genuine, passionate, personal relationship with Jesus himself. Everything flows out of that reality. Everything. Each of the passages we just looked at assumes the Father knows God, is amazed by God, and walks with God himself. That makes sense, doesn't it? If God has given us sons that we might teach them about Christ and be a growing model of Christ-likeness, we must be genuine Christians ourselves. When it comes to our call as fathers, God wants us to first look at ourselves before we look at our sons. If you are efficiently minded like I can be, you know, the temptation is just, okay, what do I need to do for my son? What, what do I need to, what does he need to do? What do I need to give him? What, what needs to be accomplished? And yet God so often points us back to us. And let's start with you, Ben. Yeah, you're, you're called to care for your son. Let's start with you. How, how are you doing? How's your soul? He, God wants us to look at the condition of our heart before we seek the condition of, of our son's hearts. And God clearly teaches in the in the word what this looks like, right? I mean, just to have a, a desperation for Christ. Do you as a dad, do I as a dad have a desperation for Christ? A a John fifteen, apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Are you operating in that kind of reality? Do you and I have a growing knowledge and amazement of the gospel? A growing knowledge of the gospel, a growing amazement of the gospel. Do you and I have a hunger for the word? You know, am I in the word? Am I diligently and faithfully in the word myself? I'm not going to be diligent and faithful to give my son the word unless I'm feeding on the word myself. Do you and I have a love for the local church? And then finally, and there, this isn't exhaustive, but for this list, do you and I have a passion to live for the kingdom of God? So, desperation for Christ, growing knowledge and amazement of the gospel, hunger for the word of God, love for the local church, and passion to live for the kingdom of God. Are those things in 
let me be visible in my life. And guys, God's not saying here, are you perfect in them? You know, God's not saying, well, you know, until you're perfect in these areas, you're not going to be a blessing to your son. That's not true. It's right, just as we don't want to have the wrong objective of, of that yoke that's not supposed to be ours to bear. We can't create the caricature of these like strong dads who do everything right and, and they're the standard and I'm never going to measure up. I think, you know, wives so often can do that, but guys can do that as well. You know, the temptation for, I think, a mom is everyone else is doing it better than me. No, they're desperate for Christ too. And that's the same for us. It's not look at this list and then look around and say, I'm not like this guy or this guy. That's not what God's calling us to do here. He's just saying, in your relationship with Him, you know, Jesus says, don't look to the left or the right. You look to me. How are, how are you walking with me? Are you abiding? J.C. Ryle, abiding. Constant, close communion. Is there a constant, close communion with your Savior. And, and the funny thing is, the guy who is actually strong in these areas is not going to feel strong. The guy who feel, who is strong in the areas I listed is going to feel weak. Because if you're desperate for Christ, that's weakness. That's I can't do anything apart from Christ. That doesn't feel like strength. A growing amazement of the gospel, if you're growing in your amazement of the gospel, that means that you see yourself as an even bigger sinner now than you did a few years back. So you're, you're even more amazed that God forgives you. Hunger for the Word? Again, desperation. I come to the Word not when I think I'm awesome and let me learn a little bit more. I come hungry for the Word when I realize I need this just to be a, to be a man, to be a Christian, to be a husband, to be a father. I come weak when we come hungry for the Word. Love for the local church. You know, why, why do I love the local church? Not so I get some itch scratch. I come to the local church because I need help. I need God, I need people in my life to pray for me and care for me and encourage me. And so, so the person that loves the local church, again, doesn't feel strong. They feel weak. They say, I can't live this life by myself. And finally, passionately, passionately living for the kingdom of God. Who am I to do that? Who am I to be used by God for his kingdom and, and oh Lord, the temptation, honestly, of living for my kingdom? So often, I think weakness is actually strength and, and we want to remember that. The question is not, are you perfect, but rather, are you moving towards these things for the good of your soul, the good of your family, the glory of God? We can't create this standard that's so high, it's just, I'm never going to get there. It has to be a, okay, Lord, am I desperate? Am I coming to your word? Do I love the church the way I should? And just that, those steps, 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 steps towards what God desires and doing it again by the gospel, doing it by God's grace, by God's strength. And to ask, just, you know, personally, where do I need to grow? Where do I need to change? You know, if our, our sons feel us coming towards them and, you know, you need to change here and here and here and you got this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and we're never putting ourselves humble, forward as humble of, hey, let me tell you where I need to grow. They're not going to be able, I think, to connect the way that God wants us to connect with them doesn't mean that every single time they bring something up or every, every single time you need to address something or, or you know, encourage them or discipline that you have to relate in every single way. But I think there is a way of how do you show them that you're in this together with them, that you're, you're, a, you're a fellow uh, pilgrim on the way to heaven. So that's a big one for us, guys. I think for all of us, I mean, what, what does it look like moving forward just in your own walk with Jesus? What, what one of those areas, and we all need to grow in all of those areas, but what one of those areas is God would point his finger on saying, I want you to, to come to me and to be cared for by me in that. And, and like I said before, we need in the objective, we want to do this in word and in example. Word and action. Our words are important. You, you speaking to your sons is important, but your example is maybe more important, or at least uh, just as impactful as your words. You know, my dad has always loved the church, has always been committed to the church in good times and in bad. He's been committed to the church um, in good times for the church and bad times for the church. Um, remember there was a kind of a pseudo-church split in the church we grew up in, 
And he did not waver in his commitment to the church. He was committed to the church in good times and bad in his own life, where either he was demoted or his company went through Chapter 11, or just these moments where God wasn't being good. I didn't see in my dad's example a change based on how life was going. There was just this sense of, we need the church, we love the church. My dad has been has served and in uh, served in unimpressive roles. Uh, sometimes you guys see him just cleaning up, you know, the, his little broom, cleaning up the trash. And he served in impressive roles. He served in an elder growing up, and a deacon growing up, and children's ministry director growing up. I never saw a difference in his excitement to serve. It wasn't like one role got you know got his A game, and, and other roles got kind of secondary stuff. And I share that with you because he did occasionally talk about it, but there was no doubt what he believed through his example. That Matthew 12, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and really out of the overflow of the heart, we do. We act. We move. We make decisions. And and so just for us, really thinking about, not just what we say, but thinking about what we do. Do my children, does my son believe that I believe in the authority of God's word? Through my decision making. I mean, you know, dad is, is God's word authoritative. Yeah, of course it is, son. Second Timothy 3.16. Now, that's right to say that. It's right to give them Second Timothy 3.16. But can my son see in my life, can he see in my example that God's word is authority, is, is authoritative over me? Does my son see in my actions that God is good in trials? That I believe God is good in trials. Does my son see in my example that I am a steward of everything and an owner of nothing that God has given me? Does my son look at the way I hold things and and say, oh yeah, dad doesn't own any of it. He's a steward of it. He's willing to give up anything and everything for the glory of God. Does my son, does your son see us living our life with an open hand to God? God, you can touch anything on here. There's not my stuff and your stuff. And again, guys, none of us are perfect in this. None of us are. The question is, is there a desire for it? Is there a moving towards it? Is there a desperation for it? Now, the amount of time, so Anderson's only nine, but Anderson and I, probably because of the three girls, uh, and, and Kelly, four girls, you know, like, me and Anderson have a very sweet relationship because it's just me and him. And and so I think it's because of that, maybe the uniqueness of that situation, you know, me and him have... A lot of just kind of one-on-one conversations. You know, we'll just, he, he's just very quick to share how he feels, which can be a good thing and a bad thing, you know, but it's, it can be a good thing. You don't have to pull it out of him at this point in his life. And just the times where I've said to him, Anderson, I want to be so much slower to speak and quicker to listen. I want to be so, I want to grow in being just self-controlled where, you know, everything I say builds up. And he knows it doesn't. He knows there's times where I'm efficiently minded in the house and do this, do this, do this, or where I can just be lacking grace and patience and I can snap at somebody. He knows, he sees that. He's not blind to that. Your boys aren't blind to that. But I think our boys also know when there's a real genuine, I don't want to be this way. And, where there is fruit. Just because there's, there's at times sin, that doesn't mean there's no fruit. Okay? So as guys, as dads, again, I think it's tempting just to, to replay all the places we failed. And that's true. We've sinned. We need God's grace. But are there also areas where your son can say, yeah, you're a sinner. Of course you are. What a shock. You're a sinner. You need Jesus as well. But dad, I also see this. I, I see a desire to really be diligent and intentional. Not just in the training of, of, of me, dad, but diligent in your own walk. With Christ. Point two. A father is called to be in relationship with his son. A father is called to be in relationship with his son. Our relationship with our sons is to be a mirror, although it's imperfect, is to be a, a mirror of our relationship with our Father in heaven. So after we first think about our own walk and our own spiritual condition, when we turn to our sons, we, we don't want to be God for him. We want, our, we want to point our sons to God, but we want to be a, a, uh, an example or a picture to him of, of the Heavenly Father. Imperfect, but still an example. 
The temptation to not build a friendship with our sons because our dads did not have a relationship with us is understandable. I think the majority of us, if we were honest, or maybe the minority of people in this room probably had a, a good relationship with their dad growing up. I love my dad. I, um, like I said, he was an amazing example to me in many ways. We didn't have a relationship. Like, we didn't talk about stuff. You know, we didn't, we didn't just, I, I didn't go to him when the popular kids made fun of me. You know, I didn't make, I didn't go to him when, uh, the girlfriend in high school who, uh, I said to God, if that's the only thing you ever give me is this relationship, uh, when she broke up with me, I didn't go to my dad. You know, when I had questions about sex, I didn't go to my dad. I went to my mom. Because I, Felt like she wanted to have those kind of conversations, and my dad didn't. And um, so I think for any of us who feel, well, yeah, Ben, that's great to be in a relationship with your, your son. I've never seen it modeled. We've got to make sure that we, we transcend earthly relationships and, and go to godly relationships. Yeah, okay, you might have a dad or had a dad who wasn't the most warm, the most open, the most gentle, uh, the most, you know, you didn't draw your soul out, but you have the heavenly father. And that relationship is closer than your earthly father. And that relationship is all those things. Our, our heavenly father loves us, pursues us, listens to, listens to us, cares for us, is never bothered by us, is patient, forgives us. That's the relationship we want to think about when we think about coming to our sons. Now, through the cross... Christ reconciled you to the Father. When you are in Christ, that, I mean, it's just, it is mind-blowing to me the way he talks about the Father's love for us. When we are in Christ, we get all of the blessings that come with being Christ. It's amazing. It, it, it feels like it's too much. No, who am I, Father, to get that type of relationship well, you're a sinner. You're right. It's only by grace. It's only by my love and glory. And yet, this is the gift I give you. So that's the relationship we have. And, and so we want to come to our sons then. And, and, and really, and we see this so often, right? Love, forgiveness, mercy, patience. So many areas in God's Word, when we're called to do these things, it's always tied to the Gospel, isn't it? Love as you've been loved by God. Forgive as you've been forgiven by God. Be patient to others as God has been patient to you. And so we're really called in this, this relationship piece to keep drawing on the gospel. Okay, how has God been towards me? That's how I want to be towards my son. And when it comes to this, this point, here's the question. Does your son know you're for him? Does your son know that you are for him? That you're on his side? That you are glad to be his dad? even with all of the, the pain, the hardship, the trials. It's not saying there, does your son know that he's perfect or that you're perfect? No, of course not. But does your son know you're for him, that you're leaning into him, that, that you're on his side, that you're, you're glad to be his dad? This could be an, an overstatement. So I'm 36. When I hit 46, if I'm still in ministry, I'll let you know if this, I still believe this. But... So many things when it comes to marriage. There's a lot of marriage issues and counseling married couples, so I'm not saying this is the only thing you ever have to think about or work on. But what I've noticed, and now, whatever, eight years of, of pastoral care towards marriages, you give me a couple that loves Christ and is leaning into one another, they, they don't have a posture of you know fists up, but they're leaning in of, I trust you. That goes a long, 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 long way. There's, there's a lot of hope for a couple when they're leaning in towards one another. There could be a lot of issues going on. There could be a lot of things they need to get worked through. But if you have a couple, uh, I'm, I'm going to fight to be for you. I'm, I'm going to fight to be on your side. There's a lot of hope there. In the same way, a, a dad, and I know you, you can't, you're not responsible for your son's reaction here. You are responsible for yours. I am responsible for mine. I'm going to keep leaning into my son as hard as I can by the grace of God and saying no matter how you respond, I love you, I'm for you, um, and I'm glad that I'm your son. I'm glad that, you're, that I'm your father. I, I really do believe even if your son reacts to that very angrily, God can use that for a lot of good. And, and let's just be honest. <laughs> What's better, you leaning in and him not, or you both saying, screw it and just 
I don't care, you don't care, let's just go to our corners. How, how, how does that ever glorify God? How, you know, I mean, God can redeem anything, but that's just, that's not the heart posture that we want to have. We want to be loving, we want to be kind to our, our sons. I'm going to share where I need to grow, and I've already shared that with the um, wanting to be slow in my speech. So I'm not saying this as an example, because I had to fight to believe it, but when Anderson was going through a very hard season, there wasn't a lot that kind of put my hat on of, this is why I love being his dad. You know, I'm in a season now with him where I, gen- I, I, like, I like this kid. Like, I, I genuinely, he's one of my best friends, and I, I enjoy being with him. There was a season where it was very, very hard. Very hard. Nothing but anger. Nothing but just coming at us. And I would say to him, you know, if I could have any son in the whole world, you know which one I'd pick? And I remember the first time I said this to him, he, did, he didn't know the answer. I said, you. And I remember that. It shocked him. And I, and I said that truthfully because... If this was the son God sovereignly gave me, I knew it must be best. And so I wasn't saying, if I could pick anybody, it'd be you because you're so awesome and I'm so awesome and we have so much fun. It really was. God must be up to something. And I remember it just softened him. And, And it wasn't like everything changed after that one night. There was many hard moments after that. But there was just this, this guy likes me. He he wants to be around me. Uh, so for us, do we, increasingly have that heart posture. Will we have that heart posture, not just when things are good, but when things are bad? Um, just really briefly, just small action steps can build into something special. Small action steps can build something really special. And what I mean by that is, there's some dads here who it's probably very easy to have biblical fellowship with their son, and there's others who it's probably very hard. And again, the temptation is to, man, we're not having two-hour conversations about theology and God's Word, and I'm doing devotions, but they're barely speaking, and i got to get them to this place where they're going through the catechisms, and we're doing worship, and you know, my wife's on the guitar singing, and hey, that would all be wonderful. But if that's not where you are, you can't look a 100 miles down the road. What's just the next thing to do? Because so often, it'd be like trying to run a marathon and you never ran before. And you think, well, I can never run a marathon, so just quit. Right? Well, go run a mile. Go run a mile and a half and build. And in the same way, and it's much more important here because God is in this, but just what's a small step to take towards your son or sons? Just, just taking an interest in something he likes. It doesn't have to be always, um, quote-unquote, hyper-spiritual. And what I mean by that is just... Taking an interest in your son is very God-honoring. There are probably things your son likes that you don't like. What does it look like for you to take an interest in those things? Because you just love him. And you want to build that relationship. Just getting time, just the two of you. Asking about stuff going on in his life. Just, what's going on? Anything going on? You know, and we have to build into our sons where they know that's not going to be this loaded question that comes with a six-hour sermon. You know, I've said to some of you guys, when when Madeline asks a question, I want to have this balance of I answered it. Uh, you know, so I do want to answer it, but I want to answer it in such a way where she actually wants to do that again down the road. You know, I don't want to answer it so exhaustively where she thinks, well, I, uh, he answered it, and I'm never asking that question again or anything like it. You know, I think, how do we just, how's it going? And great, and you walk away, and the son, oh, wow, okay, we can actually engage sometimes, and it doesn't have to be six-hour conversations. Asking is, how can you be praying for him? You know, I mean, one, there's times as dads, well, many times as dads, where we just are called to pray for our sons, but there's times also just, hey, how can I be praying for you? And even he's like, I don't need to pray for me right now. No, that's fine. Just, what are those things? I love you so much. I want to go in, I get to go to God on your behalf. I want to be intentional now. Well, what are those things? And thanking Him for those, whatever, if He shares and, you know, following up. Hey, I've been praying for you. This is way down the line. Um, but just even like, for me, this is maybe for me, looking at my son in the eyes. Do I look at my son in the eyes when I talk to him? I, I can be so busy. We, we just have to realize the crazy culture we're in. It's just fanatical. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to say, that was nuts. How did we not realize how nuts that was? And so for me, I just, I'm doing a lot in the home. And I, and there's a season where Anderson started saying, dead look, dead look, dead look, look, dead, dead look, look. And I'm like, 
I wanted to, I wanted to yell. Why do you keep saying look? And I realized I wasn't looking at him. I would talk to him and be doing something. You know, or I'd be interacting with like three people at once. And so this isn't, uh, don't take this in a legalistic way. I think it's, it's the more of the, 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 the it's not, you, you must look at your son in the eyes. It's more of just, is there an intentionality? Does, does my son know he's got my attention when I'm talking to him? That, that's, that's the question. Or is it just, he's just, you know, my son just feels like he's just another thing, you know, um, kind of rotating in, in, in dad's universe. Yeah, he's not, he's not God. We don't want to idolize our kids, but I, we also do want to be, you know, grateful for them and be intentional towards them. And so, so what does that look like for you to be intentional? Um, yeah, like I said, let's build this relationship with them. Let's take those small steps. Um, and don't, don't react based on their reaction, right? That, that's the thing about objective and plan and resource when it comes to God. We've been given something from God and we move forward and we don't say, okay, God, you gave me this task, you called me to raise this boy and instruct him about who you are and what you've done and what it looks like to live for your glory. Okay, got it, God. And then as soon as your son pushes back, quit. Right? That would be like in D-Day, Eisenhower giving them the plan and then Oh, these Germans are against us. Everybody back in the boat. You know, no, they, they pressed in because they knew this was the command. And, and so in the same way, you know, if your son's having a hard season, this is why when it's rooted in God's word, you can just keep being faithful. What, what does God want? You just keep doing that. Don't, you know, Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary in doing good. I am so thankful for that farm. I would like it to be a Target one day, or a Five Guys, or a Chipotle. There's a lot of things I like for that farm. But that farm has been a blessing to me, because every day that I'm here, I stare out the window, and I realize how slow it takes to produce the crops. And that guy just goes out there, and he'll first till it up, and then they have a machine that drops the seed, and you know, the Lord waters it, and they put manure on it. I mean, it's just months, and months, and months, and months. And the, and the farmer doesn't Put the seed in, you know, wait there for 10 seconds. Nothing happened, it's not growing. You know, picks the seed back up, sticks it in his pocket and walks away. He, he knows this stuff takes time. He knows there are various forces at work that he plays a part in it, but it's really the, the Lord that makes it grow. And so as dads, don't lose hope, don't lose heart. You know, Austin was saying before here that we started how, you know, his dad got smarter as the years went on. Kind of tongue in cheek, his dad got smarter. His dad didn't get smarter, right? We just realized they were a lot more wise than we realized. Even what I'm saying to you today about my, my dad, about the way he was with the church, I was being affected by it, like it was affecting me, but I couldn't have put it into the words that I do now. And so I think let's, let's have a vision for what we do now might not bear fruit until they're in their 20s or 30s. Do you love your son enough to do that? Do I love Anderson enough to do things now and entrust it to the Lord that we might not see fruit in certain areas for decades? I want to love my son that much because God loved me way more. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Point three, final point. Called to be a disciple. Called to be a disciple. It's my joy to be a pastor of Christ's community. Uh, but in these three passages, what is clear is that the primary teacher and instructor to sons to help them understand who God is, what God has done, and what it means to live for the glory of God is their fathers. The primary teacher in the life of a son is not his pastor, but his parent, and specifically his father. So our wives definitely have a part to play. But you as the dad are the primary spiritual leader of your family. You can't delegate this out. Now, I'm not thinking of anyone specifically, but a little bit of my concern over the last couple years um, with Crossfire is that as the years go on and the dads trust me that that 
although we first started by saying the dads are primary, that we slowly fall into, oh, I'm sure Ben's got it. I'm sure Ben's teaching good things. I'm sure Ben's getting good time with them at lunch. And, and I do want to play that part. And, and, and I was talking to a guy recently how, yeah, there are times where your son might open up to me a little bit more and I don't have, I don't, I don't have the heat in that situation, right? That's not my son. Uh, you might have a better time with Anderson than with me not there. You know, so there's times where I invest. But the primary responsibility, you can't delegate that to any other guy. CB, John, me, we want to be massive blessings. We want to be used by God in your son's life. We want to pour into him. And, you know, as that boy gets raised up and finds his place in the local church, yes, that we want him to follow, uh, follow the men that God has put before him. But you're that primary guy. And we want to own that responsibility to be a discipler. Our families are to be the highest priority, higher than our jobs or our hobbies. And that's not to undervalue our jobs. Our jobs are important. I, I, I recently read a book. It's a great book. It's called uh, The Gospel at Work. And it's talking about why your job matters for the glory of God. So your job matters, but it does not matter as much as your responsibility in the home. And your hobbies don't matter as much as, as your priorities in the home. Working uh, for the Lord is a blessing. Discipling your sons is, uh, is greater and, and will have a greater impact. And again, we, when you and I look back, we, we look at the last generation, not every, every, not every father was like this, but, but the majority of fathers, faithful providers, yes. Faithful disciples, no. Right? They, they were men who provided, uh, the resources, they brought home the bacon, um, they maybe got the kids in order every once in a while when things started to get really hairy, but, you know, Teaching them about the Lord, raising them up in the Lord, that's mom's job. That's just not true. Yes, mom is called to be a massive blessing, but as we see these passages, fathers, 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 diligently instruct your sons. Can't leave that up to the culture, obviously. Shouldn't leave that up just to our wives. Shouldn't leave that up to just the church. In season and out of season. Right? That, that, that Deuteronomy 6. When you stand and when you sit, when you rise and when you walk. Just in all these different seasons of life, you're just looking. How can I disciple my son right now? You know, you're, you're in the car with them. And you're just, you're just showing soul care. You're modeling soul care. Or, you know, just a beautiful day out. Hey guys, who made that? You know, that's a really simple thing. Hey, who made that? I'm, my kids are probably sick of saying, who made that? God made that. That's right. That's a very simple thing. Who made that? God made that. Yeah. That's, that's a moment of discipleship. The way you interact with your wives, right? I, I, um, someone said recently, as you get older, as, as husband and wife, there's a difference between, um, standing side by side and face to face. So me and Kelly can stand side by side a lot as we're interacting with people in the church or our kids or extended family. You know, we're, we're working together in different areas. That's different than me looking at her and engaging her and loving her and growing as husband and wife. And so when, I know if you have kids and older kids, these moments are, are sometimes harder to grab, but you know, just, you're in the kitchen with your wife. And you have a thousand things to do, but you know what? I'm going to hug my wife. I want to kiss my wife. I want to love my wife. I want to express something to my wife about my gratefulness to God for her. You are discipling your sons. They are going to remember these things. This is how dad treated mom. So it's not just the sit-down lectures. It's just life, living life together. And being intentional. I know, like I said before, we want to be slow and kind and gracious with questions with the boys and stuff. Um, but we also want to be direct. It's that tension of I want to be gracious with my boys. I want to be gracious with Anderson. I want to bring him along slowly. I don't want to feel like, you know, it's every day it's all the time we're talking about these things. But I also know that the time is ticking, right? You guys know better than I do. Time is going quickly by. And I want to, I want to be intentional to say what needs to be said, you know, you don't have the you don't want to have the wrong belief that you have to perfectly sanctify your kid before he gets to eighteen or it's all over, right? Your kid will not be perfectly like Jesus when they leave the home. But I want to invest as much as I can for the glory of God and the good of that boy. 
And then just one last comment with this point, and then we'll we'll move to the close here. Um, one thing I have learned from some of the dads that I think have done this well, and when I say well, I mean faithful. Not I look at their kids, and because of their kids, I import what they were as dads. I have seen some dads who were crazy faithful, and their sons are struggling in the Lord. And I've seen some boys who are doing great in the Lord, and I don't know if their dads were faithful. So it's not, hey, sometimes you just get different results because God is God and God is sovereign. So when I say who's done this well, I mean dads who've been faithful. Um, try to be clear on this. When it comes to discipling, I think dads who've done this well are discipling their boys at the same time both for the present and for the next season that they're going to be in. Another way to say that is, I think a faithful dad is both proactive and reactive. And I'll, I'll very briefly describe what I mean by that. Um, the, the dads who have done it well, if your boy's 12, you're, you're discipling your 12-year-old. You're not acting like he's not 12. He's 12, so you want to disciple him like he's 12. But you recognize what 14 and 15 and 16 are going to look like. You're already in your mind thinking, what might be, you, you don't know, but what might be the, the kind of the, the, the consistent temptations for a 15, 16 year old? Or what does it look like to glorify God? Maybe differently, and it, I think there is clear, some clear differences, uh, from a 16 year old to a 12 year old. I think faithful dads are ministering to the 12 year old, but they're starting to build of, hey, here's what it's going to be like to be a 16 year old. And when you're 16, 17, your parent, you know, when your son's 16, 17, you're, you're parenting that boy, but you're also beginning to get him ready to leave the house. I'm a good reactor. You know, I don't know if I'm as good in that proactive. I, I think when any scenario comes up, even with the church, you know, something breaks down and we don't have a full-time administrator, so I'm on the scene and let me administrate something and, you know, I can, okay, this broke and let me bring somebody in. I think I do a fair job of like doing that at, at the church as a parent. I want to grow in that type of vision casting, really getting time just away with just me and the Lord. And what does it look like for me to care for my boy in the next season? Not just this one, but the next one. And you going to God over that. Even if it's just a breakfast by yourself and you're just journaling or praying or, or reading. So just some, some suggestions. This is by no means like just the way it is, but some suggestions. Uh, early teen years... The topics are friendship, purity, and identity. I think those are, when the boys are 12, 13, 14, and what does it mean to, to be a friend? What does it mean to pursue purity? What does it mean for my identity to be in Christ? Mid-teenage years, I think worldliness starts to come on the scene more. Starting to think about marriage. We talked about this at the last crossfire. You might not be called to start dating when you're 15, 16, but I do think you start to be processing, okay, what... Why would I get married? What's the purpose of marriage? And what type of girl should I be attracted to? I think if your boy says to you, hey, I'm attracted to this girl, I don't think that's a freak out moment, even if they're 13, 14, 15. The question is, what are you attracted to? If, if it's a godly girl, it, it's still, maybe for you it's still, an, okay, let's wait. But hey, son, man, yeah, she loves Jesus and she loves the church. Praise God for that. that I want to encourage my boy, even though I'm saying <clears throat> there's a process here. So, early teen years, friendship, purity, identity. Mid-teen years, worldliness, marriage, career. You know, what does it mean to live for the glory of God and work? And then late teens to early 20s, owning your faith more, seeking biblical counsel, right? Now now they're, they're not going to just have mom and dad, most likely, just giving them counsel. They're going to have to go pursue it. They're going to have to get that coffee with the pastor or a care group leader. Just be intentional to go to care group or intentional to be in community. And so before they leave the home, are you telling them, hey, it's going to be important for you to be intentional to seek counsel? Um, you know, late teens, early 20s, community. What does it mean to be in community? Late teens and early 20s, they know how to have a fun time. Do they know how to be in biblical community? And then finally, called to be a father, right? Like we, we get the amazing privilege, potentially, of our sons being dads one day. And so when you boast in your weakness and you have a relationship with them and you disciple them, it's not, well, I did it perfect. You know, we're, we're not going to be the opposite of the last generation. If the last generation was, our dads really didn't know what they were doing. Ours is not going to be, we crushed it. 
Guys, you have no excuse. Just do exactly what we did. No, that's not true. We're going to have regrets. We're going to have failures. We're going to be able to point them to Jesus again and again. But you have a relationship with your son that when he's married or he has children one day, he's able to come to you and not get all the answers, but just be cared for as a brother in Christ. And then finally, this is where we end. What's the resource? We know what the resource is. It's not you. It's not your strength. Our resource for all of this is God himself. God is our resource. God is our strength. You're going to need to be patient with your son today, or son's today. There's no doubt about it, right? Who's, who's patience? Maybe God's. Whose strength? Whose love? I can't, I can't love my son the way God calls me to by myself, in my own efforts. I need God. And so may we go to God and go to the gospel again and again and again. Lord, I pray that you would bind up what is of you and that you would uh, help us, Lord, in the gospel, in your grace and your strength and in your love. Lord, as we just keep looking to you, that the overflow of that would be uh, loving our sons. Lord, and we cannot imagine the impact that would occur uh, by your grace as you raise these boys up, Lord. We pray, would you save them? Would you help them to be godly men, men that died to the American dream and live for your kingdom, Lord? We love our boys, and we know you love them even more. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do a deep work in our life and a deep work in theirs. In Jesus' name, amen.